This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book coming out shortly called How to Get Sued. Bob? And I write uh, legal blog watch for law.com and also my own blogs, Law Sites and Media Law. Well, Craig, uh, finally there is some logic to uh, our pairing here uh, as a Massachusetts lawyer and a California lawyer because uh, now our states have something in common, which is that they are the only two states in the United States to, to recognize same-sex marriage. Uh, on May 17, 2004, Massachusetts uh, became the first state to legalize same-sex marriage, and four years later, on May 15th, Last week, in a 4-3 decision, California's Supreme Court ruled uh, in favor of a, a group of plaintiffs composed of gay rights groups, uh, gay couples in the city of San Francisco, who had argued the 2000 law banning same-sex marriage in that state was discriminatory. The decision makes, as I said, California the second U.S. state to recognize gay marriage. It is hard to believe, Bob, that we are behind Massachusetts in this, but the California state legislature has attempted to legalize gay marriage twice. But both times, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger has vetoed the measure, arguing that the court system should be the one that decides the issue. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we are going to talk about the California case uh, and what it means uh, on a broader basis. We're going to hear from... uh, people on both sides of this issue and uh, explore uh, some of the topics surrounding this. Our first guest today uh, is Tara Borelli. She's the staff attorney in the Western Regional Office of Lambda Legal, the oldest and largest legal organization dedicated to advancing the civil rights of lesbians, gay men, bisexuals, transgender people and those with HIV. Tara has joined Lambda Legal in July of 2006, bringing with her experience in both corporate law practice settings and in the nonprofit legal advocacy arena. Tara's work at Lambda Legal has included matters involving asylum claims, Washington's anti-discrimination law, constitutional claims for public employees seeking domestic partnership benefits in Washington, California's domestic partnership law, and parenting issues. Welcome to the show, Tara Borelli. Thanks so much for having me. And also joining us today is Brian S. Brown. Uh, Brian is executive director of the National Organization for Marriage. Uh, Prior to joining uh, the organization, Brian was the executive director of the Family Institute of Connecticut. Uh, During the five years he was with the Family Institute, he developed it into one of the largest statewide pro-family organizations in the Northeast. And Brian now brings that organizational expertise uh, to his work at NAM. Uh, in California, uh, Mr. Brown is in his organization helping to lead an effort to bring a, a voter initiative that would overturn the recent court decision. Welcome to the show, Brian Brown. Thank you. Tara, I wonder if we could just start with you since, since you're in California and, and uh, a, a lawyer, uh, I think you're based in Los Angeles, but maybe you could give us uh, just kind of an overview of, of what the California court did last week. Sure, happy to. And this is a decision that uh, is the product of four long years of, of uh, very hard, intensive work um, by a, a significant um, 
you know, team of, of organizations, counsel on this case included uh, Lambda Legal, Lead Counsel, National Center for Lesbian Rights, uh, the ACLU, law offices of David Cardell, Heller Ehrman, and, and many other um, major law firms who uh, participated uh, through an extraordinary showing of amicus briefs and so forth. So there was really a lot of um, hard labor that, that went into this case, and we were overjoyed to get an opinion from the California Supreme Court that really is a victory for families in California and advances the idea of fairness and opportunity for all committed couples and their families and uh, their ability to to be fully integrated into the fabric of our state society and, and to be recognized as fully human in the way that, that we recognize those who come together in, in committed relationships with the one cherished partner that they love. Uh, the court here gave a decision, a 4-3 uh, decision, uh, that uh, was all the more remarkable because it was neither liberal nor conservative, but one uh, that we think really adhered to the essential principles and how this analysis is supposed to be done. Um, on this uh, seven-member court, six of the justices were appointed uh, by Republicans. Um, so it really was not an, an ideological decision, but one that we think really showed a great deal of fidelity um, to, to the basic principles. And the court here, to sum it up briefly, uh, found that it is a violation of equal protection and as well as an unconstitutional infringement on the fundamental right to marry to deny committed same-sex couples access to marriage. So, Brian, what is uh, National Organization for Marriage and what are your next steps? What, what position do you take on this opinion? Well, uh, NOM California is a state chapter, and it's a primarily formed ballot committee that started far before uh, the opinion was issued and was involved in helping to gather the over 1.1 million signatures that we submitted to the state uh, county, actually the county election offices, to get a constitutional amendment uh, on the ballot that is essentially, it is the same wording as Proposition 22, which, it, as you know, was, was passed by over 61% of the voters of the state of California in the year 2000, but it was a, it was statutory. And this uh, is a, instead a constitutional amendment, and we're expecting the state to shortly, in, in probably two weeks, uh, qualify the initiative uh, and, and certify the signatures. Uh, we're, we're well on track, and, and we really uh, are, are quite sure that we will be on the ballot, given the numbers we turned in. And so in November, uh, this... Uh, court decision, which overturned Proposition 22, will itself be overturned. We're very confident the voters will again vote yes to protecting marriage. And obviously, um, there's a lot to be said about the court decision itself. Um, I think the most important point in all of this is that uh, the court uh, decided to throw what it, what it can only be described as a uh, grenade into the democratic process, a process in which the voters of California were already uh, getting ready to vote on this issue and already it's spoken. And, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, people are tired of the culture wars. Well, uh, the court just reignited them in California by essentially one vote, you know, a 4-3 decision. And the decision itself is also a time bomb because for the first time the court uh, is, is basically saying that orientation is equivalent to race. It's using a strict scrutiny standard. It's imposing a strict scrutiny standard in California, and it's doing the exact thing that we said was the major threat. It's essentially saying that the majority of Californians that understand that the union of a man and a woman is what marriage is, by definition, are the equivalent to racial bigots. 
And that, that is a very startling statement, and it has very serious repercussions. And again, this isn't a conservative or a liberal view. Mark Stern, who represents the American Jewish Congress, had said that same-sex marriage and religious liberty, there's a train wreck about to occur, and no one's trying to stop the train. And that's what we've seen in Massachusetts. Uh, we've seen Catholic charities forced out of uh, the adoption business, being told that if it won't adopt children to same-sex couples because the state recognizes same-sex marriage, it must do that in order to have an adoption license. In New Jersey, we've seen a Methodist organization lose part of its state tax exemption for refusing to allow a beachside pavilion that it owns uh, to be used for a civil union ceremony. In Canada, we've seen the Knights of Columbus fine for refusing to have a civil union ceremony within their halls. Uh, this is a total transformation of American law. It changes the very nature of religious liberty. The strict scrutiny standard, again, is, goes even further than what occurred in Massachusetts. So you have questions about even the tax-exempt status of churches um, that, that believe that marriage is the union of a man and a woman, and their hiring practices fall in that direction. These things won't necessarily happen immediately, uh, but they, they will follow by the logic of the court decision. And, if you, you know, again, if you just read the decision, all of these politicians or anyone else who said, well, you know, I'm not for same-sex marriage, but, you know, I want, uh, you know, civil unions. The decision itself is based upon the fact that California already grants uh, most of, well, all of the state rights, benefits, and privileges to same-sex cu couples under its domestic partnership regime. What the, what the well, Brian, let, let's let's just stop you there and hear from Tara on this before we go before we go any further. Just just on the issue of whether this is a really a, a transformation of the law, Tara, could you speak to that? I'm delighted to, and and uh, then might come back if I could to a couple of additional points. But um, I think it's incredibly important to recognize here that that the court really grounded its decision um, in in a step by step orderly process of applying precedent, which is how our court system works and and what makes it an orderly way of binding us all together as a society. And the court recognized that there is no transformation here. There's no redefinition of marriage, uh, and there's a really fundamental point here, and the court looked back to uh, the, the, the very court's own decision in Perez versus Sharp in 1948 when the California Supreme Court became the first court in the nation um, to strike down a ban on interracial marriage, and then the court recognized we don't define the fundamental right by who is trying to exercise it. So at, at that time, the court wasn't looking at whether there was a right to interracial marriage. This isn't about a right to same-sex marriage. This is simply about the fundamental right to marry. And, and the court took great care to talk about what that right means and to recognize that while marriage has changed over a period of time as we've gotten rid of rules relating to coverture where a woman's identity was legally merged with the man that she was marrying and um, bans on various uh, types of marriage by uh, by various racial groups, both interracial and, and, and complete bans in California in its early history on some racial groups marrying um, anybody, even members of their own race, uh, the court really looked at this and said, we're talking about marriage, plain and simple, and there's no good reason here. There's no constitutionally adequate reason to deny access to this group that's been so long deprived of the ability to be fully integrated into our society in the way that marriage 
can do. Um, I do, if I could, want to go back to a couple of threads um, uh, from Brian's remarks, and, and one has to do with the democratic process here. I think it's important to note that the three branches of government in California are now in complete agreement. Uh, the legislature, as it was previously mentioned, has twice uh, passed a, a bill that would provide access to marriage to same-sex couples. Uh, Governor Schwarzenegger has come out to say that he will abide by this decision and that he does not agree that the Constitution will be amended and that he will make himself available to work on defeating that constitutional amendment. And, of course, the court is now in agreement as well with the idea that there is a constitutional problem with the putting a badge of second-class citizenship on same-sex couples in the way that was done through domestic partnership. This really is fundamentally about our democratic system of government. The court is properly within its role, and and it's clear in the opinion that the court was very conscious of this. It's properly within its role to hold the laws of California accountable to the Constitution, which Chief Justice George recognized is the ultimate expression of the people's will. Well, again, the people are, under California state law, the people have the opportunity to amend their constitution directly. And so if we look at what the people are able to do under state law, I hope that Tara would accept that under our state law in California, uh, the people can directly vote on an initiative that can amend the constitution. And therefore, we're simply working within the, the democratic process to have the people amend the constitution to state clearly that marriage is the union of a man and a woman. And again, if you look at the dissenting opinions of uh, this idea that, that this is just ho-hum, this is not a transformation, this isn't a big change, I mean, anyone who just looks on the surface that understands that marriage law knows that that's not the case. The dissent calls this uh, judicial jujitsu. Uh, and that's exactly what it is. The court's attempting, on one hand, to act like it's not changing anything, but it's obvious that it's changing something fundamental. And again, you know, Tara brings up this uh, this analogy to race that is race that is wholly uh, inaccurate, not correct. And the very fact that the overwhelming majority of African Americans, those that suffered um, so much under both slavery and then during the uh, civil rights era, Jim Crow overwhelmingly opposed by stronger majorities almost than any other group, same-sex marriage, and are tired of their um, history being used to push through something that has absolutely nothing to do with race. Look, we have to talk about what marriage is. Marriage is, by definition, what brings the sexes together. Uh, uh, Anti-miscegenation laws, by definition, were an attempt to keep the races apart that had absolutely nothing to do with the intrinsic definition of marriage. Where does your, where does your organization draw the line? Do you recognize civil unions, uh, for same-sex couples, or, or do you not recognize any kind of a, a legal, uh, 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 imprimatur on, on same-sex relationships? Well, you can open up benefits to all different groups of people, whether it's two, you know, older people of the same sex that need to be able to share health benefits. That's an entirely separate question, but we should, uh, make clear that Civil unions, for example, that are only for same-sex couples still have the same religious liberty impacts that same-sex marriage does. In New Jersey, New Jersey does not have same-sex marriage, but you still see the force of law being used to repress and marginalize uh, religious organizations that believe in the intrinsic definition of marriage as the union of a man and a woman. Uh, to act as if there's no conflict of law question here, I think, you know, is just not looking at the facts. This is a major transformation using the strict 
scrutiny standard is a major transformation, and the people are going to have their say through the amendment process. And I think you know you can you can try and use the history uh, of of uh, especially Black Americans to try and force through same sex marriage, but it isn't going to fly. Uh, the Black Americans see through this. Uh, as a subterfuge, and in state after state, 27 states where the people have had the chance to vote, they've voted uh, to amend their state constitutions to define marriage as the union of a man and a woman. And frankly, if you want same-sex marriage, then try and transform people's minds. Try and go through the democratic process. Allow the people to vote. But instead, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, at every single attempt, that, that we make to allow the people to vote, we're seeing an attempt to stop them from voting. So that's really what this is about. Kara, this fall we're going to be dealing with another uh, amendment, proposed amendment to the Constitution. What's Land Illegal's position on that? What are you going to be doing? Well, if, if I may, actually, before I answer that question, I'd like to go back to, to a couple of remarks um, uh, from Brian that, that I, th I think really bear um, providing an answer to. And, and that is talking about the history here of, of discrimination, particularly a ban on interracial discrimination that um, the court, uh, in its opinion, discussed. I want to be incredibly clear because I think there's confusion about this. I want to be very clear that, that none of the plaintiffs in this case and, and neither uh, the Supreme Court, not, none of those um, entities or individuals has made any argument that the history of the two communities is the same. Um, quite, quite the opposite. However, it's been recognized, including by the National NAACP and the California State Double the ANCP that filed Mika's briefs in this case, that in fact there are important lessons to be drawn from that experience. Nobody is saying it's the same. There are important differences in the history of these communities, but there are important lessons to be drawn. And the NAACP filed briefs, again, both through its national and its state arm, saying, we know better than anybody that the arguments being used here about a transformation um, in, in the nature of marriage um, and the degradation of society um, and, and how this will harm other people who are, who are already married, we've seen these arguments before, and we know better than anybody that, that they're bunk. There's nothing behind them. It's a thinly veiled attempt to try to prevent, you know, by a majority that would be cruel, to try to prevent a minority from becoming fully human and accessing the fundamental rights that they're guaranteed under the Constitution. In terms of the constitutional amendment, we really are confident that Californians are fair-minded uh, and that they will recognize that the sort of fairness and opportunity that the court provided to same-sex couples through its opinion makes the state a better place. California is better when all of its families are stronger and more stable, and the court recognized here that marriage, civil marriage, does that in a way that no other institution can. There have been significant problems with domestic partnership. Uh, families have still continued to face acute harms and vulnerabilities, and that institution has failed them at some of the most critical times of need. And the court recognized that it's simply not acceptable to put that sort of hardship on these families or their children. It doesn't harm any family or, or any other child of a heterosexual uh, a couple to have same-sex couples marry. Uh, you know, as, as was said in, in the dissenting opinion in the New York case, Hernandez versus Robles, there are plenty of marriage licenses that go around. But what it does do when you shut out same-sex couples and their families from marriage is it harms 
that class of families and it harms those children. And the court recognized that there's simply no good reason to do that. And the state is better when all of our families are protected. Uh, what you're essentially hearing is the complete deconstruction of marriage. Because by, by Tara's arguments, if, if we say that you know, what marriage is is essentially about uh, uh, loving people, defining marriage in the way they see fit, and that it does no harm to anyone else, I, you know, I've already... I've already explained how it does direct harm to religious institutions, to individuals who don't accept same-sex marriage, but leave that aside. If we construct it in that way, then every one of the arguments that she's making would also move forward to further deconstructing marriage. What if I say I want to marry two, three, or four people? By the logic that you're using, there's absolutely no reason why I should not. Uh, your logic is, well, um, why are we denying you the right to marry? There's a fundamental right to marry. When the court said fundamental right to marry, it did not mean that there's a fundam fundamental right to redefine marriage in the 40s. What it meant was that this extrinsic quality, race, that had absolutely nothing to do with marriage could not be seen as an intrinsic quality of marriage. That's something that, that you could define who could or who could not marry. And I think that's clear from the decision. But if we take your logic, there no longer is any definitional quality of marriage. Marriage no longer serves the function of bringing the sexes together. Instead, it's basically about, well, um, I want marriage. I define my relationship in this way, so who is the state to deny it to me? So again, if there's, you know, if I say I want to marry three, four, or five people, there really isn't any logical reason why the state should not do that, given Tara's uh, logic. And it does not matter that, you know, polygamists are not battering down the door right now. Uh, Same-sex marriage wasn't an issue 20 years ago that people thought would ever get before our Supreme Court. You're, you're placing all, you're deconstructing marriage within the law, and there are going to be profound consequences. There already have been, and what's, what's happening is pro, uh, proponents of same-sex marriage are just skirting over them. They're acting as if they're not occurring. What happened to Catholic charities in Massachusetts? Let's just ignore it. What happened to the Methodist Association in New Jersey? Let's just ignore it. What happened to the Knights of Columbus in Canada? Well, that's not really hurting anyone. What's happening to parents in the public schools who say they don't want their children to be taught that uh, growing up to marry a man is the same thing as growing up to marry a woman? Well, let's not worry about it, uh, and, and it's not really a big change. Well, for many of us, this is a big change, and it's a really, really big change in the, in the law to say that gender has nothing to do with marriage and that we can construct marriage in the way that we see fit. Kara and Brian, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk more about gay marriage and this ruling and how it will affect other states. We'll be right back. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at MayItPleaseTheCourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show.
A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Craig Williams. We welcome back Tara Brelli, the staff attorney in the Western Regional Office of Lambda Legal, and Brian Brown, who is the executive director of the National Organization for Marriage. Well, Tara, one of the complaints that I've heard about the domestic partnership law in California was that it doesn't even relate to same-sex couples. Same-sex couples can't register under the domestic uh, partnership law. Uh, let's clarify that because I, I want to make sure I understand your question. Um, the, the domestic partnership law in California uh, is open exclusively to same-sex couples and to different sex couples who, where one is over the age of 62. And so essentially the state, in an effort to try to reduce some of the most acute harms and vulnerabilities that same-sex couples were facing without any family recognition, uh, the state was, was trying to create some harm reduction measures by creating a parallel institution, um, you know, in, in the absence of the ability to, to create um, access to marriage for same-sex couples. And that's how the domestic partnership uh, institution was, was formulated. So really was sort of a, a stopgap measure to try to protect those families the best way that it possibly could. Um, and the court's decision here then had to take account of the existence of the domestic partnership institution because one of the arguments that had been raised in the case was, well, domestic partnership is good enough. Well, of course, our Constitution doesn't have a good enough protection clause. It has an equal protection clause, and, and the court uh, had some some very beautiful discussion in its opinion about how our society has confronted this argument before that, that separate and equal never is. And, and that that's simply not adequate under our current conceptions of, of human dignity and respect and equality. Um, so the domestic partnership, while that was urged by the opposition to, to have created a complete solution, the, the court recognized that it simply wasn't acceptable under our constitutional values that, that protect, you know, each and every one of us as, as a, as individuals and as a collective, that it wasn't adequate to give same-sex couples, this novel, alternative, lesser-than status, which is seen by everybody as such. I don't know any heterosexual married couples who would trade their wedding in for a domestic partnership. Nobody grows up dreaming of the day that they can enter their domestic partnership. Marriage is the only institution that's universally understood and recognized, and the court um, acknowledged in its opinion that there there simply was no constitutionally permissible reason to deny same-sex couples and families who are equally committed, um, equally loving, and equally in need of those protections, um, you know, the, the important benefits that they provide. Brian, one of the arguments against the, the idea of same-sex marriage, the basic argument, as I understand it, was originally back in very older times, was a circumstance where social policy required uh, the marriage between a man and a woman for procreation purposes. 
there really isn't much of a population problem anymore, and some would argue that there's no real reason for uh, no social, no overwhelming social policy other than perhaps biblical definitions or religious definitions for marriage. How do you respond to that? Well, I think it makes very little sense given what we know about marriage and its importance to a healthy society. I mean, the social science research over the last 40 years has shown that the breakdown of, of marriage, our high divorce rates, our high um, fatherless uh, children rates, have had a very real effect uh, both in dollars and in social costs. So to say that the institution of marriage and that and the kids uh, doing best with both mothers and fathers is not a part of, of social policy anymore, well, it's just wrong on one account that the government does do things to uh, to uh, help marriage in, in many different ways. The federal government does. We also have programs on the state level. But it also should on a normative level because of the key role marriage plays. Look, we need to get back to the very simple question of why the government is involved at all in marriage. Uh, in most of our relationships, the government doesn't get involved at all. I mean, I, I can be a, uh, an uncle, I can be a nephew, I can be all sorts of things. The government doesn't get involved in those relationships. But the one that it does, and the one that it tries to lift up, is marriage. And the reason it does that is because marriage is in the best interest of children, that bringing the sexes together is in the best interest of children. And even if you would just leave aside uh, gender roles, uh, the fact is that you can say all you want that marriage has been broken off from procreation, but it's simply not true. Uh, the only natural means by which a child can be born is through his biological mother and biological father, and that's the overwhelming way in which we're brought into the world. Uh, it's and, and children having both a mother and a father is in the best interest of the state. And that's why, again and again, people vote yes on this. Now, Jerry Brown chose not to argue on, on this basis, and I think that was a big mistake in this case. In courts in Maryland and New York, you know, not conservative states by any stretch of the imagination, have found that, yes, there is a, 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 a reason why the state uh, has defined marriage as the union of a man and a woman, and it's the connection between motherhood and fatherhood and uh, child-bearing and child-rearing. So, Brian, I need to cut you off here at this point. We've reached pretty much the end of our programs. We need to wrap up with final thoughts and your contact information so that our listeners can get a hold of you. So, Tara, let's start with you. Can you wrap up with your final thoughts and give our listeners your contact information? Absolutely. Just a, a quick response to what Brian was just saying uh, is, is to say that, that the court was properly focused on the interests of children, and it's long been the public policy of California to recognize that all children um, parented by different sex or same-sex couples are all equally worthy, and this opinion really honored that idea by protecting all children, keeping their families stable. Uh, so uh, I'm with Lambda Legal, and uh, people who are interested in Lambda Legal's work on the California marriage cases and, and the range of other uh, work that we do can visit our website at www.lambdalegal.org. Those who are interested in working to defeat the initiative that would tarnish our Constitution by writing discrimination into the Constitution can get involved with the Equality for All campaign and are encouraged to visit equalityforall.com. Great. And Brian, let's uh, quickly wrap up with you and get your final thoughts. Yeah, this is... Uh... Obviously, Brian Brown. I'm with the National Organization for Marriage California. If you want to stand up to the court activism and judicial tyranny that we've seen in, in California, understand the importance of allowing the people to be involved in this process, uh, please go to our website at nomcalifornia, N-O-M, 
CaliforniaCalifornia.org. There you can learn what you can do to make sure that uh, the majority of Californians who understand what marriage is can have their voice heard this November and we can protect marriage. Well, that about does it uh, for this week's program. Uh, I'd like to extend a special thanks to both of our guests for taking the time to be with us and uh, to remind our listeners that they can obtain all of our lawyer-to-lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And I guess we're going to be back next week and talking about uh, my new book, How to Get Sued. Look forward to that. Thanks a lot to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.